welcome to Slayer Fest 98. I'm Ian Carlos Crawford. I'm Philip Ellis. I'm Dana Pickley. I'm LaToya Ferguson. I'm Zachary Patton Garcia. I'm Adam Sass. I'm Kimberly Ann Southwick. And I'm Kirsten White. Hi, everyone. I'm glad you are all here. Uh, so I wanted to do this episode with all of my <clears throat> trusted co-hosts. And basically, we took a. everyone knows we took a uh, pause from covering Buffy after uh, Charisma Carpenter made her statement and Amber Benson and Michelle Trachtenberg and Sarah Michelle Geller. And I kind of wanted to do this before we got back into the show and back into Buffy season seven, because I do think the show is still worth talking about, even if Joss Whedon is the fucking worst. Um, I think there are aspects of the show that are worth discussing and are still relevant today. And I don't, I, th- I said this before on the podcast, I said this many times, even before everyone released these statements, is that the show has always been a sum of all of its parts. It wasn't always just great because Joss thought of it and created it. Um, I don't think uh, lesser actors would have made the show fall flat. Like lesser actors wouldn't have been able to deliver these lines, wouldn't have been able to carry these plot lines that I mean, I feel like you've all probably experienced this before Buffy became as popular as it is when you try to get people into it and you give your elevator pitch and people will be like, what the fuck is that? (laughs) (laughs) But you know what I mean? Like now, now it's, it's so culturally, it's like ingrained in our culture, almost the way that like, you know, people, people who love Harry Potter have been through this where they like love the show, but can understand that you leave. Leaving the auteur behind. Yes. Uh, (laughs) Um, but so I wanted to do this just to do a little house cleaning. So everyone who listens to the podcast and who might be on in the future knows where we all stand, where I stand, where all of you stand. And that, you know, we stand with Ray Fisher. We stand with Charisma Carpenter. We stand with everyone who has come forward with these awful stories about how Joss was just a nightmare and created such a toxic, terrible work environment. And I think it's a credit to these folks that they still stood by their characters and they still gave these fucking phenomenal performances even while working in such terrible work conditions because i'm a big brat and i don't know that i would be able to still be like yes i'm gonna put my best foot forward and commit to these this role while my boss is the you know worst person i don't know that i would have done that well i and i was like an intern and an assistant and a pa for many many years um and encountered a lot of great people and i have worked for for some nightmares who don't even come close to the stories that we are hearing about Joss. And I found working with them, my, my body literally would shut down. Like, so to me, even hearing these stories, I'm like, I don't even know how you complete a day on set because it is that anxiety inducing to be around someone who's doing like a 10th of what everyone has said Joss has done. And then Joss has done like, so it's, it's not to, you know, be like my firsthand knowledge here, but this is, one of those things where, like, there was a very visceral reaction, you know, hearing, you know, this, this left and right. Because this is, this is something that's been tolerated in Hollywood for way too long as just sort of like, oh, well, he's a genius and he's, you know, the auteur and he's, the, you know, the reason behind the thing and he's the reason we all have jobs. And so we're going to put down no boundaries at all. And it just, you know, feeds the worst people yeah and i mean i i'm sure there are like you know i've i've unfortunately worked many a retail job where the bosses are really bad and you know even just in that environment i become like well i need to quit this job so i can't imagine it being as toxic as it was on buffy and still committing and still doing that because yeah adam i think when a boss is like that it's hard to i mean you're just either you're in fear of 
what they're going to, they're going to yell at you or in fear of, you know, if you're like Michelle Trachtenberg, you know, put out that statement saying that he wasn't allowed in a room with her. Like Jesus Christ, I can't, I truly can't imagine working under those terrible, terrible conditions. There's a specific type of um, Hollywood nightmare guy um, who kind of knows that everyone around him really needs this to work out and also has is probably walking into this with with decades and decades of, of you know Hollywood stories going like oh yeah this is this is sort of the gig this is the thing yeah I think that's important to point out Adam that it's been it had been normalized for literally decades almost a century before the Me Too movement really kicked off people actually coming out about the fact that situations and environments like this are abusive mm-hmm. right and extremely retaliatory if you even acted upset about the treatment, um, much less tried to bring it to light, much less tried to get anything sort of done about it. So, um, I mean, there's a reason why, you know, um, everyone's statements come with sort of this caveat of like, I, you know, have to say something now, even though I'm like still terrified of the retaliation. Yeah. There's, there's a major, you see the retaliation yeah. happen and there, you know, and, it's, and, and Joss was obviously not quiet that he would he wasn't subtle of what the retaliation would be so yeah yeah i think that uh, tim that's also an important point that like this probably you know i'm sure many many other show people who worked on tv shows and movies probably also worked under conditions like this but like didn't speak up just because it was normalized right yeah the whole joss thing makes me think of that that phrase absolute power corrupts absolutely and some people are incapable of holding the keys to the kingdom without being tyrants. Yeah. You know, it this is this is going to be a very weird example, but I can remember when Caitlyn Jenner came out in support of Trump and my grandma being like, "How could she do that?" and then stopping herself and looking at me and goes, "Well, she's rich. That's how." You know? And I was like, "Well, my grandma's right." Like <laughs> because once you get power, you kind of it's just wild to think that he wrote a especially for the time such a feminist show but was you know he would have been a villain buffy would be fighting right like he would have been one of the guys that was like she broke his nose at swim meet or whatever in the car when he tried to hit on her like I mean, he's warren yeah yeah he's warren yes that's more accurate yes <laughs> he's more of this one of the subtle villains like you know i yeah i like to talk shit on xander a lot but i'm going to use it for a good purpose here which is you know <laughs> at the time Xander probably didn't seem to be so terrible than when we look back at him decades later. And Mm -hmm. similarly, I think Joss maybe in some situations, not all, because I think some of them maybe it was clear that he was a villain at the time, um, like the Michelle Trachtenberg situation. But, you know, some of the stuff he did, I'm sure, was was more subtle and therefore, yeah, got brushed off. Mm, mm, Yeah. Um, it's just, it's so interesting to me how, I mean, uh, you know, we're talking about like the, the Me Too and Time's Up movements, um, and how in entertainment or in any kind of creative industry, there is this myth of the, you know, the, the auteur or the genius where, um, a lot of behavior kind of is forgiven or excused because it's like, oh, well, he's, you know, he's the showrunner. He's the, he's the, the mind behind it. But I, I remember when I was 19, 20 working in kitchens, you know, I'm, I'm a journalist, so I've, I've worked in my fair share of kitchens and, <laughs> uh, and seeing a, a, a chef who is in his forties bawling at this 16 year old waitress and reducing her to tears. 
And if I had not stepped in and told him to back off, it's like, oh, he would have just done that and not thought a single thing of it. So it, it literally is in every industry. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I, but, but but when it comes to, you know, art and, and, and TV and, and movies, it's sort of, there is uh, an even more kind of special dispensation given to these men who are just assholes. Yeah. You know, I I don't know if, I know Adam and Kirsten do, but does anyone else wa- watch Hacks? I'm a, a couple episodes behind, but yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, I really recommend it, and I'm going to have a light spoiler for the newest episode, LaToya. I'm sorry. How dare you? <laughs> <laughs> um, but, like, in it, she goes to, like, a comedy club that's, like, outside of her regular routine, and we see that, like, the men, the man, the man who's currently running this comedy club, she's talking about how in the past this used to happen, et cetera, et cetera. And we see that the man who's running it now is still doing the same shit in 2021. And I thought that was like a really good, I don't know, it was it was a really good point to make that like she felt, oh, that only happened back then. And we see that like, oh no, this man who's like younger and whatever is like still harassing the women working the comedy club now. And, you know, I think the first thing he says to her is like, oh, I love big tits or like something ridiculous like that. Um, and we see this woman like shrink and we watch Gene Smart watch it happen. And it's, you know, it's it's still happening. I think people are just, I, I think Gene Smart, I thought of her character and how she felt to her it doesn't really happen anymore. And then she's watched it, like personally watched it happen. And I think that's like, I don't know. I, I It's, you know, it's still happening. So I think it's important that these stories are coming out and that, you know, folks like Charisma Carpenter are willing to like start this conversation with the Buffy, like how Buffy was always toxic. You know, what, what Ray Fisher is saying isn't just, it didn't just happen on Justice League. Um, it was always how he was. And like you said, Dana, it was, I'm sure it's, he got power and then pff, he became, you know, I'm sure it was a little bit there, but he got, he got the power to be that toxic and he got, he was in control and he got away with it more so than he would have if he weren't the showrunner, the yeah. you know, person that's the highest up, which is shitty, but right. I think that's probably what happened. Well, I mean, we're seeing these two timeline spectrums for Justice career, the the Justice League being the most recent, Buffy being kind of more earlier, but he's worked on a lot of sets in between then and I'm I I'm I'm almost nervous thinking about stories that might be being suppressed on Marvel sets because we have not heard any stories off of those sets. And it seems odd that would just be a period in which he would behave himself. But um, because because what's happening is when this is talked about, when it is a Jaws property, it kind of starts to taint the 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 project totally. Like Buffy and and then Justice League, but that's been kind of co-opted and you know kind of t- taken back over by Zack Snyder so it feels less of a of a Joss identity project but you know I, I don't know if there are sets from the Inve- Avengers one um because right. again I'm sure a whole bunch of set nightmare behavior moments coming out of the Avengers set would be pretty pretty damaging to the brand and I you know I love it so that's just that's something that's always running through my head because it's one of these things where these guys don't ever stop yeah. And right. you think about like the, you know, when the question comes up, well, how could somebody like this get away with something like this for so long? Well, you also keep in mind that he's somebody who 
has had many projects going over the years and he works with a lot of the same people. And you think about these people who maybe didn't work for this period of time or for this long, and they're maybe holding out hope for, you know, if there's a Buffy revival, well, you don't want to get on Joss Whedon's bad side because then you're not part of the Buffy revival, yeah. right? Um, and I remember like, uh, it was like a year-ish ago that Charisma did come out and say something, but it felt like a very muted sort of something. Like she was trying to raise her mm-hmm. voice up a little bit, but also there was a little bit of fear there. And I would be, I would be very curious to ask her if like maybe she was worried about pissing him off so much in, in, in was, was she afraid of retaliation and not getting to work on any of these projects? If everybody seemed to get back together again, because you know, like you do speak out and you're, you're the one ostracized if everybody doesn't back you up. Yeah. You know, I, I actually do remember that, Zach. I think it was like some like, I think it might have been like comic book resources. There was like an article where someone put like unknown facts about Buffy and someone put in the list like, oh, Charisma Carpenter didn't tell Joss Whedon she was pregnant and got fired. And Charisma, she was really pissed. And you looking back, you're like, oh, well, I understand why she was pissed at this writer who probably got paid $20 to write this article. But I understand why she was pissed because that's not what happened. Mm And she like went on a thread. I think she did like a tweet thread that was like, hey, like that's absolutely not what happened. I've spoken about this before. Like this is not true. And on the outside, I thought like, oh, this poor writer. But on her side, it's like you understand why she would absolutely not want that in print saying that it was her fucking fault because it's not. It's just being a fucking nightmare. I mean, as a person who has made money from the Buffyverse, right? Like I got hired to write spinoff novels. Um, and it was it was weird even at the time. I was very careful not to mention Joss, both because, he, you know, even back then there were rumblings that he was not a pleasant person to work with, um, but also because he wasn't involved in the project at all. And I had this fear mm. that if people knew that, then they'd be like, well, it's not really canon. And I'm like, well, he doesn't own it. It's not his right. anymore. Um, <laughs> if I got hired to write and it's officially licensed, guess what? It's canon. Um, but it was always really a weird thing to dance around, right? And even this, like I was nervous about doing this. We had conversations about it. And I finally was like, well, I'm not writing Buffy anymore. I doubt I will ever again in the future. Just because it's it's a it's with a different it's with a different publisher now that Disney owns um, yeah. literally everything under the sun, um, <laughs> and so so it is. It's this weird thing where you're like, like you either know something is happening or you've heard rumors something is happening. But when you are a professional in a certain field, there's this fear that if you talk about it, either there are going to be immediate repercussions or there's going to be the sense of like, "Mm, we can't trust her with IP. We can't trust her with big properties because she might say negative things down the line. And like, and I experienced that not just with Buffy. Like I'm really careful not to speak negatively about television shows or movies. Cause like, let's say I trash a movie and then somebody involved with that movie later has an opportunity to work on one of my projects. And they're like, no, that, you know, she said mean things about me on Twitter and hurt my feelings. I don't like her anymore. (laughs) Um, So there is this weird sense of like, everything is so connected. Everybody knows everybody. And there's that fear. There's that fear that if this is your livelihood and you say something wrong or you participate in the wrong conversation or you don't correct an error that goes out on Twitter or whatever, that you're going to be damaging like future income, future opportunities. And like even more so in Hollywood than, than in what I do, because what I do tends to be very solitary, right? It's not, it's not as interconnected. Um, And so, so it is, it's it's a weird thing to try to engage with that. Like I've, I've contributed to the Buffy verse and part of the Buffy verse. Um, And, and it was started by somebody who is sort of the antithesis of what Buffy stands for. Right. Um, and I think that's, I think that as like, as creators, as fans, that's what we have to grapple with. Like, what does Buffy mean to us personally? 
what did it cost people to get that to us? But also like how many other people have been involved in creating and telling these stories and And like, honestly, I will tell writers all day, every day, the idea is the least important part of any project. (laughs) Like ideas are, you know, you can come up with a hundred ideas in a day. Like it's, it's not the idea, it's the execution. And in the case of Buffy, the execution was in such a large part, it's the producers, it's the costuming, it's the writers, it's the actors. I mean, the actors, I would say, carry the the weight of it at all times. Like, you know, the editors, like there are so, so many people who work to bring these things that, you know, when you boil it down to, well, oh, that one person associated with it is problematic, so we can't enjoy it anymore. It's just, it's a conversation that lacks nuance. And it's a conversation that doesn't recognize that, you know, that one person isn't like Joss Whedon isn't Buffy. Buffy is, you know, Buffy is so much bigger and, and so much more than that. Yeah, no, I think, yeah, Dana, what are, you, what are your thoughts on that? Because I know you've you've actually probably interviewed more Buffy people than I have on this podcast. <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah, I mean, to me, Buffy is so much the sum of its, you know, more than the sum of its parts. And uh, yeah. there are so many amazing, amazing, ins- inspiring people that have been involved in this and have carried the torch for it for, you know, two decades mm-hmm. that it's such a weird place to be in as a fan. And I know so many fans feel this way. And I, I, I think that a lot of Harry Potter fans uh, feel the same way. Right. Um, but to me, Buffy has always been Amber Benson and Sarah Michelle Geller and Marty Noxon. And, you know, these people that created important pieces of my, I don't know, experience as a fan and experience as a person growing up. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I like I could go through this world with never hearing his name again, but it's important to me how important Buffy was and is to the people that were involved with it. Yeah, you know, and actually I've I've been thinking a lot about Dana and Latoya when we interviewed Amber, because I did have some people tweet at me being like, she definitely was like being polite about talking about that. And I think that that's probably really accurate, you know, and I don't know, uh, Latoya. So you you also host another Buffy, well, Angel podcast. Uh, what do you feel? What do I feel in general? Um, so when we yes. discussed that, um, we did discuss have a little thing where myself and my Angel on Top co-host and the Buffering Ladies we talked about it, and um, I punctuated it all by just saying "fuck Joss Whedon." Um, so that's how I feel about that. I wanted to circle back to talking about uh, the the charisma pregnancy thing and you know how she called out that writer Mm. for it being wrong because like that was always the you know the rumor since like season four of angels like that has stayed with her despite it being false for so many years at this point and you know people talk obviously in the industry like without being even using the word difficult that essentially gives her the bill of being a difficult actress does it not yeah right it's just the way lies in his favor which even if there's it's not even in his favor because it's like oh he, she didn't say she was pregnant so he fired her how is that in his favor right yeah <laughs> she, Christmas was the bad guy in that fake story anyway i don't understand it actually <laughs> I, latoya i just wanted to pop in and say that makes a lot of sense because people who get into positions of power and abuse their power they don't do it alone they 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 are they have they surround themselves with enablers mm-hmm. yeah 
That's true. Kind of just like uh, backing up what uh, everyone else was saying, like the uh, it's sort of based on this assumption that the woman, you know, the actress is the problem and that Joss was kind of just like writing his way out of a corner kind of thing. Uh, and that, oh yeah, a woman having a baby, that's a real, like, you know, she's throwing a spanner into the works How of dare. his vision. And it's like, right. well, no, like in any other workplace, a woman you know, disclosing like, oh, okay, I'm having a baby, that would not be grounds for like her ending up without a fucking job. It's actually illegal. I mean, yeah. <laughs> like there are so many repercussions all the time for women's reproductive choices, right? And, you know, um, and that, that's what pisses me off so much is that Joss was always hailed as this like great feminist storyteller, which you, when you revisit a lot of the stories, it's not that. It's that he hired great actresses and he had good writers, right? Um, but a lot of his yeah. stuff is is deeply anti-feminist. But but you know, to to take an actress and to say, oh, you've made a you've made a reproductive choice that mildly inconveniences my storylines, you're out. Like that's just it's just so typical and it's so, so deeply anti-feminist. And how anyone even like, yeah, even when it was framed as she didn't tell him she was pregnant, like, so what? You don't have to. <laughs> like it's just and it, it makes me so mad too because it's so illegal right it's so illegal to fire someone for that but they'll always find another way around it and yeah like it's just it just makes me very angry <laughs> yeah and i wanted to add it's le- it's illegal in the united states to fire someone or not hire someone because they're pregnant so i was uh seven months pregnant on my first uh academic job in on campus interview and I remember being super nervous. I was told by my colleagues, they specifically told me, they said, you know, don't tell them you're pregnant until you get a campus interview. This is so apropos right now that the baby's going to get Yeah, it's so cute. <laughs> As May's like, it was me. Damn, you're fired from the podcast. Get out. <laughs> I, but Kim, I remember you were worried about that. And I remember you saying, like, I'm not posting about my pregnancy till I didn't until I got the job, actually. I didn't put it on social media at all. Like that, and that was I was eight months pregnant at that point. Yeah, and like I, I was thinking about that a lot in relation to this. And yeah, Kirsten, I actually wanted to go back to what you said too. That like sometimes when you revisit Joss's work, like we did with Firefly, <laughs> uh, it's not always it doesn't hold up as feminist because there's a lot like like Mal calling Inara a whore a bunch. That yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Like, he calls her a whore, like, every scene they're in together, he's, like, calling her that. So much of what we do as Buffy fans, right, is is we love this show for what it was. And at the time, yeah, a lot of the representation was groundbreaking. But we can also acknowledge 20 years later that a lot of it falls flat and that there was a lot lacking from that. Um, and, and I think that, I think it almost helps, right. That we have this much distance because we've already been able to say like, you know what? Xander's not a great character. He's pretty slut shamey. He's pretty creepy. Um, and we can say like, oh, it would have been nice if, you know, they had had Willow be bisexual and we could have had good bi rep or, you know, they didn't have great gay, gay male rep. Um, the, the racist rep was uh, again, like terrible. Um, (laughs) <laughs> and so, so like we have the distance from it to be able to critique it and to say, this is a thing that's not perfect, but it meant and means a lot to us and we can love it and talk about the way it's imperfect. And I love that yeah. because it's not like, um, and I think it makes it easier to talk about these issues and to talk about Joss because it's not an active property, right? Like it's not still ongoing. Um, it is in the past. And so, you know, we can acknowledge that there was harm done, right? That it was, it was a toxic environment. Um, and, and we can, you know, I, I mean, obviously you have to acknowledge it, but there can also be that sort of degree of separation where we can still appreciate what the show was and what the actors accomplished. 
I'd like to add to you that just because someone writes a feminist character or an anti-racist character, et cetera, doesn't make the person who's doing the writing uh, an anti-racist or a feminist, for example. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I know I said earlier that it is wild, to, but I, I just can't, I can't see a world in which I write that. And then I'm like, I'm the villain that I wrote, but like, I think it's fine. I just, a lot of writers are like that. Right. You know, I mean, well, it's, it's cognitive dissonance. He doesn't think he's yeah. this way. He thinks he's right. Whatever the fill in the blank. Like he just, you know, and it's, and he's, a, it, this is like, he's pulling comic book tropes these kind of powerful women they're superheroes really um so a lot of this was just because in the late 90s we weren't really putting on film a lot of like superhero women characters even they were they were living in comic yeah. books he was just sort of mining that yeah and and yeah i mean like there's there's people who write books and tweets that go against everything they say all the time like it's 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 it's, it's humanity to be like oh yeah this is this requires a different part of your brain and then you super compartmentalize that because you know i guarantee you he thinks he's not done a single thing wrong yeah i mean it i mean it's like how many times did on gay twitter we see so many gays are like wear your mask how dare you blah 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 and then suddenly they're on a maskless vacation in whatever random island right mm -hmm. like and they were the first people shaming everyone for not wearing a mask it. and it's like yeah. but, but you're doing the thing <laughs> uh um, yeah, and I just, I do think that the, I mean, Kirsten, you touched upon this too, that so many people worked on this mm -hmm. show. And, you know, I know Dana and LaToya, you've both interviewed a lot of these folks as well as I have. And these, I, I do think these people are proud of their work, right? Like, I don't think they're faking it when they're talking about how much they love their work. I do think they are proud of it, and I it's they should be because they it's great work. Well, I think they're proud of their work, but I I think more than anything they're proud of the legacy of the connection between the show and their fans. Um, I think that that's always yeah. been this very deeply rooted thing. Like like with Amber, for instance, like she's so connected to how important that character was to fans, and to her, you know that's that's probably Buffy's legacy, at least from her in, in, from her part. So, yeah, I mean, I, I don't, I can't tell you what, what everyone's thinking. Cause it's, it's delicate. You know, you don't want to ask people in interviews like, right. well, this is shitty, right? So right. what do you think? Uh, what do you think of legacy now? <laughs> uh, I just have to trust in what they have done and what they've said and the people that they've been to their fans for these two decades. And they've been amazing people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They, I think they have every right to be proud of their work too. And just the connection yeah. that, you know, their characters have, uh, you know, created with people, all, all of us, obviously. I mean, as far as I know, just, from talking to people and reading things and, you know, being obsessed. Like, I think there's like maybe only one cast member in the entire Buffy verse who was not happy with their work, but you know, it wasn't great anyway. Um. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think that a lot of, um, and Dana Latoya, I don't know if you'll agree with me, but like a lot of the actors that we've spoken to, I do think a lot of the bonds they've seemed to have built with each other have been from doing the cons together post shows. You know, I think of like Claire Kramer and Amber Benson and Charisma Carpenter, who like, and Mercedes McNabb, who all seem to have fun mm -hmm. together at cons. And like, I mean, none of them shared that many. Charisma and Amber had no scenes together. Charisma and Claire had no scenes together. But they all seem to have formed a bond. And I think that probably says more about the show than like. Think about how many shows there have been 
and how few casts still run into each other or have things that they do together. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. I, I I feel like it's like something specific to genre shows and maybe like right. the cast of Star Trek is the only right. one that like are all still BFF. The cast <laughs> of Friends had to be paid like five million each just to get into a room together. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I do think, Zach, I want you to, you, you've talked about a lot how you do think the show does belong to the fans at this point. Um, and I do think that's a really smart point. And important point, right? Like I do, I think that's true. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it does belong to the fans at this point, and I think it's been said a lot in 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 here up till now that it does belong to everybody who put their blood, sweat, and tears into this show. You know, Buffy wasn't Joss Whedon. Buffy was everybody who worked on it. And you imagine there was probably not just Joss Whedon being problematic on that show. It was probably tons of other people that you know we may never even hear of. Um, it's just it's a show that you know with its longevity now it does belong to the fans at this point um i don't know what the details are on you know if he makes money off of the show how much he makes off of the show and stuff like that um but it just is uh, it, it he's never usually the first person i think of when i think of this show you know um yeah. it's just it just is. It just is everybody else's. Um, and that's what happens when a creator creates something and puts it out into the world and it's beloved by, you know, a bunch of people. It it, it, right. it almost stops being, you know, uh, becoming just his. Um, and, you know, uh, I've never – I never understand when people put so much weight onto – you know, uh, and Kirsten kind of touched on this, the, the, the idea man, you know, he had the feminist idea, the single feminist idea. That doesn't mean like, you know, every part was his feminist idea. It was all of the people who, who put all of this into these, these characters and these storylines, you know, the writers were writing their own traumas into this, these stories. Uh, the actors were bringing their own sort of emotions that they've carried with them into the roles. And, uh, you know, when fans watch it, we're watching things that we, tie to ourselves like the body is such an important episode for me because the first time i saw it was the first time i like around the first time i'd ever really experienced anything having to do with death and it was just such a thing that shook me to the core that when i saw this this episode it was just it spoke to me in a way that i didn't even know how to explain how it spoke to me um and so it's just it's tied to the fans, and I think it hasn't been tied to Joss Whedon for a very long time now. Yeah, I I mean, right, there's there's a world in which that creator is proud of that, because that isn't always uh, because the creator was bad. Like, it's just the show is beloved, and that's how that works. But in this, in this case, it works to fans' advantage, because, yeah, he's not... It's the show, it's the story there's a zillion people working on that story. And I think that all of those people are worth their like work is worth it to talk mm-hmm. about. Um, you know, I, I, I especially think of Cordelia a lot because I don't think if charisma carp, if it wasn't charisma carpenter playing that role, I think Cordelia would have been very much a one dimensional mean girl that like came in. Maybe she helped them sometimes, but she was just very mean and that's it. Um, but charisma brought nuance to that role. And I mean, Latoya, I even think of when we interviewed her, remember she jokingly was like, what does everyone just love a bitch? And we were like, no, that's not who Cordelia was. Like we yeah. loved her because she was more than yeah, that. Yeah. I've talked about it a million times. I've written about this before. It's not easy to make a mean girl. That's actually lovable. I mean, uh, like 
Otherwise, it's like an Emma Roberts and any Ryan Murphy thing. It's There's a difference between being a lovable mean girl and just being a horrible, horrible human being, which Cordelia was right. never a horrible, horrible human being, which was very key. And I think that Charisma brought, like, she brought a lot of just heart to it. That's why, you know, she goes to the spinoff as, like, the female lead. She... The, yeah, she's not one note, and you could you could tell pretty early into Buffy, even just without her getting much time. Like her comedic timing is Im- impeccable, obviously, which you don't really need that from a Mean Girl character. Like Christmas brought so right. much, and I I've been thinking a lot, you know, as we're all talking about the whole idea of separating the art from the artist and uh in in general i kind of hate that because like it, the difference between that uh and what we're talking about here is that like separating the art from the artist like with woody allen if you're going to be defending woody allen then no 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 <laughs> we're, no one is defending joss here either it's not like right, these actors yeah. are like yeah he was a piece of shit but this it's it's not it's not that and i think that as we're talking about a lot of beloved shows like um, when the One Tree Hill, uh, One Tree Hill cast uh, actresses from that, they, they came up about how Mark Schwann, the showrunner, he was an abusive piece of shit who treated them all terribly. It's like people loved One Tree Hill, but just because this guy was a creep, that doesn't mean they're, they're not going to love it. Like Sophia Bush and Hillary Burton, they still talk about how much they love the show and those characters. It's not that they're supporting Mark Schwann's bad behavior or even an actor ruining a show in theory. Um, Allison Mack on Smallville, like the character of Chloe was great, but Allison Mack, not great. Um, <laughs> if you want to, I think time will still tell. No, <laughs> I don't know. I think maybe I should defend Allison Mack. Now. Let's wait for all the facts to be in first. <laughs> <laughs> Latoya, I love that you're dropping like all these other shows. That's very you. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, let me just keep it in the WB family, and that's what I, what I got. So. Yeah. I'm going to take it outside for a minute, though. Um, and in terms of just separating the art from the artist, I think also is problematic because usually when people use that phrase, they're talking about it like a clean cut. Like, yeah. you know, we can just keep this poem and forget that this dude was a big jerk. You know, we're having a conversation about how we can look at Buffy and the Buffy verse without, without allowing the, the taintedness of the author uh, to affect everything else good that happened about it. At the same time, though, we're not ignoring it in that clean-cut separation way. Yeah. I hope that I articulated that well enough. No, that's a, that, I think that's a really good point. Yeah, because it is, it's not ignoring what happened. It's not pretending like it didn't happen or like it didn't matter. It's acknowledging that it happened, but also acknowledging that, like, you know, Buffy was bigger than that. Yeah, I think yes, I do. Th- and I, I think that's more what I'm what I'm trying to get at is like, I don't want to talk about him in relation to the show moving forward only because for me, I, I, I'm not trying to compliment him. I'm not trying to compliment his I'm not trying to be like, oh, in his mind. But also, I don't know, I feel like we as a podcast, I mean, all of you have been with the podcast for a long fucking time at this point. And I don't think, you know, sometimes he would come up, but not it's not like we were always pumping his writing ego, whatever anyway. No. Right. I mean, it's, it's one of these things where like, um, spoiler alert, none of us here are teens anymore. I'm so sorry to break this to everybody. Oh, um, God damn it. I told you not to tell I'm you so one. So, 
so sorry. I have to wake Liar. you from this nightmare. Um, but, <laughs> but yes, this, the the dreamer must awaken. We are not. We are adults. In and this is. I think this is. I think this is the responsibility of like adulthood, where it's it's um, in everything. It is you kind of have to parse the bad parts of pretty. That's pretty much life. Is like yeah. Here's the bad part of this human being. I actually know. Um, and is still in my life and has to be in my life. Or here is this, you know, country I live in um, that has a really bunch of bad stuff going on <laughs> that I still have to be a part of somehow. Um, and I think it's one of these things where I think, yeah, like it's that's very well put. Is is that um, you know, it's high time we stop saying that Buffy is a feminist <laughs> show, um, and, you know, because again, it's just one of these things where it's like the, the feminist like bit in 1997 was like one of this woman was powerful right. instead of not powerful. Like it's, it's kind of very basic, but like back in 1997, it was such a desert. It, that was right. You know, we, we were, we were, I think that's why a lot of us found the show during that late nineties, early two thousands was there was not a lot of stuff like that. And there, you know, this right. was, this was something that long since needed to be given a lot more voice to. And then, so a lot of, actors and writers and and other voices finally were like great something is actually going on right now that i've been wanting to talk about for a really long time and so everybody kind of brought their own experiences to you know to the center um and and the auteur thing is very god needs to go like it just is it's one of those things where like even like i mean like i mean directors in the 1970s would be I mean, this is really when auteur was at its highest and this is when uh, director bad behavior was was really rampant i mean like there's stories from and this is on the i'm not even sp- spilling you know secrets here this is on the dvd making of like the like william Friedkin on the set of the exorcist would fire live rounds like throughout the day just to keep everyone on set tense um because he wanted that air of tension in the, in the set um and it was to the point where like max Bonsita would walk in and be like oh, hello where are the guns today and he was like, oh i don't know you'll have to find out um like a match like it just these things and they, you Jesus. know it, 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 these behaviors have just been so baked in for so long and especially someone like joss who you know i guess assembled a good team of, of really talented yeah. people who really probably would have found good work without him as well um but this was a good arena for all of those writers, um, you know, Marty Knox and Janice Benson and, you know, and the list goes on and on right. to showcase that work, um, which is why when he, you know, bounced kind of midway through the show, it was still good. So. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I think about that. Yeah. Adam, can we get rid of our tears after I become a showrunner? Like we can stop after that. <laughs> I swear. <laughs> no, no. Um, uh, you know, white cis men, no more. Okay. Like everybody else. Yeah. Yay. <laughs> so I have a question though. Okay. So we're talking about, you know, separating artists from, you know, the art and all of that, but where, what, so where is that line of what's allowed and what's not allowed? Because we're talking about, we're talking in defense of Buffy and why we should all still be allowed to, you know, enjoy Buffy publicly and, you know, things like that. And why Slayer Fest 98 is not a bad thing, <laughs> but, <laughs> but like you think of all these other properties, you know, Harry Potter has been under attack because of JK Rowling and then like Jeepers Creepers because of that director and like, but then like you see, like, are people still allowed to support Jeepers Creepers or Harry Potter? Like, where, wh- what is allowed and what is not allowed, and what def- what says what is allowed and what's not allowed? 
So I the, I I was looking uh, into a uh, Harry Potter fandom because I think it's one of the other like it's probably the biggest fandom yeah. in the world right yeah. now maybe. And I mean J.K. Rowling is a horrible transphobe with a lot of power, and that's disgusting. And I remember yeah. The, my personal feelings when she first came out as being a transphobe and then my how they had a that that's just piled on over the years and there are trans fans of harry potter right people that grew up with this entrenched in their identity and their childhood and i could imagine you know that people don't want to give that up it's become a part of them in the same way that you know buffy has touched all of our lives and you know some in a lot of ways. So I, I looked something up and there's a website called muggles.net or MuggleNet or something. And they have this page where they talk about like where they stand with JK Rowling being a transphobe. And they lay out like they lay out exactly how they feel and exactly how they're going to deal with it moving forward. And I just thought it was such a good way to make a clear stance. And they've got like a link to um, the trans what is it called? The Trans Lifeline and the uh, Nas- National Domestic Abuse Violence Hotline, like all sorts of things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's one of those things where I'm a super, <laughs> a lot of my fandoms have gone away recently. Um, I'm super Harry Potter <laughs> fan. And this was something that I'm, you know, I haven't t- touched it since it all went down. And probably, it, you know, one day I'll pick it back up. I think it's a very personal decision. And I think a lot of folks in the publishing industry are still figuring out like kind of how like the publishing, the, the, um, the, the kind of book Instagram folks, like the people who like really kind of, you know, promote those things. And I think it really comes down to sort of like a multifold sort of, um, thing. And it really is all kind of personal. Um, and I think it really is about first and foremost, speaking it out loud, JK Rowling is transphobic and is doing monstrous harm to trans people's lives. And, how we talk about trans people for, you know, like, and, and how, you know, it, it, that's, it's, 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 it is affecting the narrative. It's affecting laws in the UK. It's, it's having real on the ground damage right now. Um, and so first and foremost, it's, it's acknowledging that like kind of, we've been saying about Joss, it's just speak it out loud. This is, this is the truth that goes hand yeah. in glove with the thing you love. Um, I think, especially if it's a personal thing to you, um, you know, I think a lot of people are kind of taking a, uh, a money approach to this because, um, you know, I think I think a lot of people are maybe, you know, not wrongly justifying and saying, okay, I will enjoy the Harry Potter things that I've already purchased. I will not purchase a new thing. Um, right. Yeah. Which is cool. But again, I don't think we're going to de-rich J.K. Rowling. It's just kind of, it's a more of a personal, right, right. where do you, you know, just like we're not going to de-rich um, Chick-fil-A. I mean, listen, it's so, um, it's one of those things where it's like, that's a personal just choice. Um, and so I'm, I'm usually not ever erring on the side of like attack someone who is just kind of posting about the thing that they already do. But also my last point that I let other people speak is, um, I think it's also about, well, what are you, um, especially with Harry Potter fans. Like for me, I go, wow, I, you know, I, I love that world and I could, you know, could reread it and rewatch it all the time um, before last year. But um, I think also you need to kind of ask yourself and go, is there another book you can boost right now? Or is there another book you can read right now instead? Could you, have you closed yourself off to something because of your love of one thing like super you know intensely and i have things that i intensely love that are my comfort things but also kind of taking that time to ask yourself like 
have I supported another fantasy world um, by an author who is themselves trans or, or queer or just someone not bad that we know of yet? One, speaking the thing that I think that's crucial Two, the fact that every fan gets to make their own decision and their own personal choice. I think that's really important, especially considering that some people may be more personal affected. So every fan and also every person who was involved in the making of the show gets to make their own choice and how they engage with it and how they feel about it. And then I, I want to add something that I think Adam uh, was tangentially sort of uh, dancing around the idea of listening to those who were affected. So listening to Charisma, listening to Amber, listening to Michelle, and also listening to those who have ha- been in situations similar to that as well, you know, and are fans of the show and have maybe a different perspective, you know, of being a survivor of emotional abuse. I think that it's really important to not be like, oh, yeah, but this is how I feel, but to listen to people who maybe are in different situations than the way that you might feel about it is another crucial thing to do when something like this happens and particularly with the Josh slash Buffy situation. And I think too, being aware of, of platforms and of power. Like I used to, when I was doing my, my promotional tour for Slayer and Chosen, um, I would make very casual, like Harry Potter jokes, like, Oh, it's because she's a Hufflepuff or whatever, like that shorthand. Um, And I don't make those anymore because I don't know if anyone in my audience is trans. I don't know Um, and I don't know that and I shouldn't know that and I'm not going to make them afraid that maybe I don't value who they are, right? Because I'm just so casually referencing this property that's, that's owned and run by a person who's a transphobe, right? So like whatever my personal relationship to Harry Potter is, however, like I feel about it, whatever I choose to do in my home or my own personal fandom, whatever, I'm not going to bring that with me into spaces where where referencing it or talking about it without context is going to make potentially someone who is already at risk or already feels you know threatened by that property by the opinions held by jk rowling it's going to make them feel worse it's going to make them feel unsafe or it's going to make them feel like i don't value them um, and, I, and I think it's the same and i think it's why it's so important that we're doing this episode because we acknowledge like yes buffy's a thing that we've loved um, it's a thing that a lot of us have engaged with professionally. Um, so we have to acknowledge, like, Joss Whedon created a toxic work environment. He was emotionally abusive. Um, so, yes, you know, we do we do love this thing. We do participate in it. But the things that he did are not okay, and we don't condone them. And and if if this means that you can no longer enjoy Buffy, that's okay. Like, that, like absolutely remove that thing from your life if it's if it's triggering or if it, or if it hurts you mm. i think these are fantastic answers like because the thing is you know it just is going to be selective from person to person um i think you really that that's just perfect is you have to go with what you're comfortable with also take into account the victims of whatever situations and what spaces you're bringing it into i, I completely agree with that and um you know I guess the right answer is just what you are comfortable with and how you're able to see it. Um, But I wish we lived in a perfect world where everybody thought that, right? I I wish that when you go out and post about something um, that like tons of people are not going to hound you for this opinion or like, uh, you know, you won't catch me posting about Harry Potter. I've I've never been a Harry Potter fan, but like even my husband, like you won't catch him going and posting about Harry Potter because then there'd be tons of people 
kind of going in on him about that. And, and understandably, because there are a lot of people who are hurt by that. Um, and I don't know. I just, I, I wish more people understood that it, it just does have to be an individual basis kind of thing. I, and, and you personally, what you are comfortable supporting and what you're not, um, you know? Yeah. I think also when people are very anti-capitalist, this comes to mind, like people will be mm-hmm. negative about something uh, having to do with capitalism. And it's like, well, you probably participate in capitalism, you know, 100%, so like, 100%. Don't, don't be like, you know, shitting on me because I bought something from Target. You know, I bet you at some point like bought gas from somebody who had, gave money to like ExxonMobil or something. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I will say, Kim, I love when you do that because Kim makes me feel whenever someone is like, like trying to like, you know, whatever, Kim will be like, did you ask them if they have an iPhone? Because exactly, exactly. <laughs> my point is we all get to choose how much we participate and it doesn't necessarily make sense to not look for and appreciate the nuance in situations like this when it comes to personal decisions and respecting others yeah the the jk Rowling thing i absolutely understand why that is like the first sort of parallel but i think in some ways it's an imperfect comparison because jk rowling wrote these novels you know entirely by herself uh created that world by herself before Mm -hmm. it was then you know turned into movies and then her worldview later tainted it Whereas with Joss, it was like, yeah, he had the idea, uh, but you know, as with Roy said, like he had the idea, but then it was very much from day one a collaborative process. Where without Sarah Michelle Gellar, without Charisma Carpenter, without um, Alison Hannigan, that show wouldn't have existed. And so it's it's and it's yeah. like it's it's different to be like, okay, uh, these were incredibly gifted actresses who were putting in the performances of their careers while putting up with such bullshit as opposed to here is a franchise that was made, filmed over years, where later on it was kind of cast under a shadow. You know, I'm going to bring up what my mom has said, because I know people who listen to the podcast appreciate hearing uh, Alicia Crawford's opinions. My mom was like, I was telling her about J.K. Rowling when that like all happened, because my mom, you know, she hadn't heard anything about it. Because also I do, you know, I work at a bookstore. We all, all of us here are extremely online. I wouldn't, I would bet there are people that don't know she's a raging transphobe um, that like maybe like are fans of Harry Potter, but like don't, you know, don't have Twitter or don't have whatever, because I do, I work at a bookstore and that stuff still sells, not as well as it used to, but it's still like people still buy it. Um, And, you know, it'll be, I'll see queer people still buying it. Um, You know, someone with like a rainbow bracelet or a rainbow shirt or whatever buying Harry Potter. And I'll think, you know what? I bet they don't even know because they're not like so online. And like, who's, who's talking about that on like the news? You know what I mean? Like, that's not a big thing. But so when I told my mom about it, I I told her how, you know, Daniel Radcliffe and, um, I almost said, and Hermione, Daniel Radcliffe and Emma Watson, like came out and said that, you know, trans women are women and trans men are men, even though JK Rowling said whatever. And my mom said, they don't know her shit because they made her books better and made her more money not the other way around right. like and and then when i told my mom about joss she said oh i wish that buffy could slay that josh whedon he looks like that type of man <laughs> which yes she says josh every time. Say, does she, say josh? <laughs> she does she always says josh i love it <laughs> one of my friends was like i hope your mom runs into him someday and gets to call him josh to his face just to like add insult to injury <laughs> yeah like i think that's another responsibility of being a very online 
online person mm-hmm. is you do have that information and not everybody does. So this is one of those things where like my nieces are six and four. Um, they are mega into Harry Potter. And so very early on, I'll just you know, start to sneak stuff in um, yeah. as well to kind of counterbalance and do a little counterweight there. Um, you know, and, and I, I don't think their parents know kind of what's going on. So it just kind of yeah. is just like, no, no, it's just a, it's just a fun thing for kids. And I'm like, yes, but also. <laughs> I, then you, the, the, also the like perils of being extremely online is then you're the buzzkill who has to be like, well, actually <laughs> this is. Oh, bad. I'm the angry uncle. They look at me like I'm, yeah, they look, yeah, I'm the angry uncle. <laughs> I mean, Kim, you and I have to do that with our family often right you're the person who is the buzzkill yeah for sure but i don't mind when it's something that they absolutely should not be saying and i'm not gonna let them Mm -hmm. say something like that and if they don't have other friends like me then you know i I have to be that person for sure and i don't mind yeah yeah and like do you know who was a buzzkill buffy summers a lot of the times (laughs) (laughs) people didn't like what she had to say but at the end of the day with great power comes great responsibility (laughs) Yes. <laughs> People didn't like what she had to say. What the hell? <laughs> they did throw her out of her own home like twice. Oh my god! Was Joyce not liking what she had to say? There you go. There's your example. Uh, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> At this point, to me, the question is more less more of are, am I still supporting Buffy, and more of how can I support. Ray Fisher? How can I support Charisma Carpenter? How can I support these actors who have were in this position and who gave some of the most incredible performances that changed my life and took enormous steps of bravery? I mean, what Ray Fisher did was so massive. And I know, I mean, Charisma too, but I mean, Ray was Ray's a, as a relatively young actor. He's still pretty like at the beginning of his career, and that was a massive, brave step that he took. And so, I want to support him in whatever mm-hmm. way I can. I want to support Charisma and 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 you know these people that mean so much. Right, because I think it's dangerous to come forward at any moment. I mean, Adam, you said this earlier in the recording how like people just like they're worried then they're the problem. And I mean, Ray Fisher was labeled like the problem at first, right? Like I, I, not to, not to drag him into this, but I do remember Alan Tudyk like tweeting, well, I never had a problem with Joss Whedon. He was always like super nice to me. And it's like, well, that's not the time to say that. Like not maybe don't about do that. You, Adam. <laughs> but like, yeah, he like tweeted something about how like Joss was like always nice to him. And it's like, all right, well, like maybe then you don't say anything. That's yeah. he, he, I believe you that he was nice to you. No one's no one's gonna come for you over that. But like that's not what we're talking about. Um, and I do think also like you know Ray Fisher not only was a young actor but he's a young black man and Chris Carpenter's a woman and I feel like both of those like maybe if you're a straight white dude and you speak out there's less of a chance of something bad happening. But even then you could be labeled a problem. So if you're like anything but a stress uh, stress cis straight straight white dude like you absolutely it's a million times worse right and i mean i'm glad that ray fisher is at least you know he you know they did film more of the we're not talking about justice league but they you know he did get to flesh out his role he did get to you know do the thing that his character was supposed to do and i you know i hope he gets to be in the other dc movies um you know, I don't want this affecting people's careers because that does suck. That does like, and it is, I'm sure, like you said, Dana, that I'm sure that's, that's so hard. And I'm sure I, 
I can only imagine like, you know, I get anxious doing any recordings. I get anxious, you know, waking up. I can't imagine like the anxiety you feel when you're like, I need to say something like this is bad. I need to say something. Um, you know, I worked at a job in New York where one of the like maintenance dudes was like, quote unquote, in love with one of our like female managers. And he ended up harassing her and we all complained about it and we all got fired. <laughs> like we all said that we would all quit if something didn't happen. And then they let, released us, all of us that complained. And I don't think that's that uncommon, you know, like for me, it was like a stupid minimum wage job. So it was no, I was like, all right, well, fuck you. I'm quitting. Like, great. I'll be released. Um, but like, that wasn't my livelihood. And when it is, that makes it so much harder and so much scarier. I can't even imagine it being like in a famous position where you have to say something and people are going to examine and analyze it to death and make you somehow make you the villain. Like we said, with charisma, there's not even that villain story, which is untrue, isn't even a villain story yet. Here we are where like for years it was, Oh, how dare she not? How dare she get pregnant? Even though anyone who's watched any show ever, especially in the late nineties, like, Adam, right? There's a whole season of Seinfeld where Elaine is like wearing big coats right. and carrying things in front I mean, of her. Like, I mean, yeah, it's also, but like, it's one of those things where it's, um, it's a little confirmation bias where it's like, if you hear like us, like, again, it's kind of baked into a lot of society for the longest time of like, there is all caps, like the crazy actress or, or something, right. or like, like it's, you know, you'll hear the story of, you know, Sean Young going to get Tim Burton or whatever, but it was kind of, if there's different stuff to that. Um, and then you kind of, these sort of, you know, apocryphal stories come on. And then, so like when you hear, you're just like, Oh, that's another one of those situations. And so I think it's very, very easy if it fits that, societal narrative to just go, oh yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure she was difficult or blah, 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 fill in the blank, whoever you, you know, fill in the blank with your feelings about that. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's extremely hard to fight against the title now. And it just, you know, what's so fucking ridiculous is that it even had to reach Ray Fisher. It had to get all the way to Ray Fisher, you know, all of these, these rumors and, and, and these, and these, um, other people who had spoken out before and like, you know, like even his fucking wife spoke out, Joss Whedon's wife. You remember that? Like, yeah. like yes. it had to get all the way to Ray Fisher before like any sort of tumbling started happening. Like it's, it's ridiculous. I mean, here he is like telling Gal Gadot, you're never going to eat lunch in this town again, Wonder Woman. <laughs> and, and, and you know what? And you know what? Think, think what you want about her, but she yeah. went right to the studio heads and he did not mess with her again. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah, like you said, Dana. Like Wonder Woman, you're saying this to yeah. Wonder Woman, you fucking like stupid idiot. Like I just, ugh. And she already was, she was already Wonder. It's not like this was her first Wonder. Like she did Wonder Woman already, and it was a success. Like at this point, it's like I don't know. I I go back and forth with Mar like Adam. You brought up Marvel, and I think we've talked about this how. I almost feel like Disney is so strict. Like Disney makes everyone sign an NDA for every single thing. And there's no way anyone will ever say anything, but I almost feel like all of those actors were already so famous. And like, maybe they had like people watching on set or like, well, he also, yeah. Cause he also, I mean, I'm not trying to say like Disney is currently suppressing them. I'm not trying to be Tucker Carlson here, but like, um, right, right. it's, uh, it's, there's also like, he strikes me as the type of fella who 
is very aware of who is vulnerable in a room and who is not vulnerable yeah. in a room. And why are we still hiring these cis, white, straight men who have written <laughs> a thousand things a million times already yeah. when we have so many other writers in the world who can, you know, write new things that are going to be just as good slash maybe even better? You know, it seems like mm. these men always seem to be, and I'm sure there are women out there too that are terrible. Is there the same demo is the gatekeeper? Is there the executives? Like yeah. they're all- and that's funny, Philip, you, we were talking about this before recording, because Philip, you watched The Nevers, and I want you to... Talk about how you kind of felt the same way what Kim uh, just said. Yeah, so I mean, I, I well, first of all, like, I, I was uh, a little bit reluctant to watch it just because, obviously, you know, it's it's been billed as, like, the the latest Joss Whedon show, and the credits are very much, like, written by, created by, blah, 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 executive produced by. Uh, and then I had to kind of have a word with myself, and I was like, well, no, like, here is a cast of, you know, uh, I mean, well, in the UK, there's some very well-known people in it, but uh, the, the, the sort of the main... Um, female characters is like largely you know unknown actresses and like let's you know they 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 still deserve their big break so i watched it um i enjoyed it some of it uh it basically is like playing joss weed and bingo though uh there's you know sort of his idea that um a woman uh, a female strong character involves her literally being like physically strong like unless she can do a backflip and then like high kick a guy in the face she is not worthy of being the protagonist uh, and then, like, there is because it's set in you know um, Victorian London. It's the sort of like steampunk X Men, which obviously is a very, very inviting premise. There is a uh, character who is basically Drusilla the Second. She is just this hysterical <laughs> who is literally spouts horrendously uh, sort of overwrought dialogue. And it's like, oh, I mean, maybe Juliet Lander could have done this. And I, I love Amy Manson, who plays this character. She's been great. She was in Being Human, the, the British version. I loved her. Uh, but it's just... Yeah, okay. And and then uh, when we get to the end of the, I think, I I don't know if it's like the first season finale or the mid-season finale, but there is a huge, and I won't spoil it for you, but basically he recycles a plot device from Dollhouse that is such an enormous gamble. And it's the fact that like literally 10 years later, he does the exact same trick as if he thinks that everyone else has forgotten. He has already done this. And it's, kind of borderline <laughs> offensive that he is playing his greatest hits and hoping that no one else will notice that he's already done it better before and like right that's a problem with that's uh, that would be a writer problem even if he weren't also a fucking problem like if he were still like if we didn't know any of this that would still be like eh, get a new idea yeah, right it's like kind of a cushioning where he just thinks he can get away with it with everything and I, I, obviously it's impossible to watch this new show with without being colored by everything that's right. come out about him over the last couple of months but it really was i was just like oh I, I i'm really loving what these actresses are doing and i'm really loving clearly there's a writer's room and there's directing and there's and, and the production design i mean it's a gorgeous show to watch but it really was just like oh god i just i mean i'll be really interested to see what happens moving forward because obviously he's now left the the, the show and so to see like, what happens yeah. with these characters and with this story when like other people get there go at it but it was very much like um adam what you were saying earlier you know oh what if a woman who is not normally powerful or was powerful it's literally that it's like oh it's victorian london women are weak nothings except these few and it was just like oh it was hard it was hard work <laughs> yeah i mean we, we recently <laughs> we watched um sex in the city and it was you know and it's a similar similar like um 
well, this isn't a, as nearly as forward thinking as we thought. Um, you know, and it's like she literally is like king shaming. They're all they, two hundred episodes. They all have dated one hundred ninety nine episodes of dating white guys. Like it's just it's very like it's they're all and they're all wealthy and. Um, She's, you know, she's like, my people don't exist. Like, it just, it, it's a really, it's really wild to just be like, wow, this, were we starving at that point? <laughs> well, we were. <laughs> that's exactly what it was, yeah. You know, I often think of that meme that came out before this, these allegations against Joss, and before, I think it was even before J.K. Rowling came out as a, like, raging transphobe, that, like, meme of, like, where it's three people, like, the the three, like, muscle arms grabbing, yeah. yeah. And it was like J.K. Rowling, RuPaul, Joss Whedon, and in the middle, it was like being progressive for the '90s, but not updating since. And like that is true. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of this, you know, I I think of a lot of the Latoya. I don't mean to get you worked up, but I think of a lot of handling of like even Andrew is like, eh. like he's just he's I I like Andrew and I love Tom Lank, but like Andrew's like you know, he has that bit in Angel where he's like, things may not be what they seem. And he's like with a bunch of women and supposed to be like, look, he's not gay. Ha ha, wink, wink. And You're not like, going to give me words up. I just want to say, um, <laughs> Suri, play vindicated. Um, I've been saying this for years and you know this, Ian. So there you go. <laughs> I know. <laughs> That's why I mentioned you. Because like, you know, we've been getting into season seven, even getting into it. It's like, one, like I, none of the Spike stuff works for me. And I and I am someone who likes Spike, but none of it works that well. And Andrew's arc, it's like, okay, well, he kills Jonathan, but Jonathan would have been the most redeemable of the three. Mm-hmm. Um, and like Jonathan dies and Andrew just sticks around to be like fun comic relief. And it's like, it gets, when I remember watching it and being like, wow, they're all really mean to him. But watching it now, it's like, yes, of course they're all really mean to him. Yeah, did you say wink, wink or twink, twink? <laughs> I said wink wink but now I wish I said twink twink, twink. Um, yeah I haven't watched season 7 in a while and I'm, I am I would be nervous too because it's just it, they're so aggressive to him um, I specifically as, remember there's a scene where Andrew's like holding these like cocktails these enormous cocktails uh, and there's some like very subtle but obvious now like you know joke about his uh, perhaps homophobia. And I was on this episode and I remember whatever the joke was being like, you know, I feel bad that I thought that was funny. You know, am I allowed to think that's funny? So just wanted to. Oh yeah. in season six when they're, when they're at the bra. Yeah, yeah. 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 And I just, you know, it's, it's okay to love something, but also acknowledge, you know, I, uh, we, I, I think almost all of you have been on the podcast and encountered this where someone has listened to an episode and kind of, felt that maybe we don't love this show and it's not it's we do love it and it's just you can bring nuance to it like the nuance of right now to a show that was back then doesn't mean we hate it it just means like oh well this show doesn't work right now um you know i there's an episode and i i actually was like wait i went revisited there's an episode in season one of angel latoya where cordelia the subtitles say she says deb but i'm positive she actually says dyke because she says, oh, and that woman, she's clearly a closeted, and the captions say Deb, but like, I, that's not what the fuck is right? a closeted Deb? Like a debutante? Well, as the resident Deb here? <laughs> no, that is not a thing. Also, like, I, I remember in season one of Angel, like, Cordelia uses the R slur, like, 
That is not great. And you know what I mean? Like we can we can still be like, yeah, this is a show I love, but it's not like it's that '70s show. Like that show is like hands down (laughs) terrible and offensive from start to finish. Yes, I watched the whole thing. I remember being a teen (laughs) watching that live and being like, this probably isn't good. (laughs) Yeah, everything is bad and offensive, beginning to end. All I remember from that show is the gay episode where I was very excited, where Joseph Gordon-Levitt played a gay character, but then it was like, it was just like, he's bad and he's a predator. Because <laughs> he like, tries what to are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> Latoya, do you remember I, that episode? I do, but I love that that was appointment television for you. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> it really was. <laughs> Little Ian, oh my god, just like, they're gonna I, be, Jason Lowe's gonna be gay and he's trying. He's, He's recording it on the VCR. <laughs> I, I probably did. I was really hoping him and Eric Foreman would get no. together. Oh, <laughs> is he like, I don't care if you're straight. I'm going to come at you. I just remember even back then being like frowning <laughs> by the end. But yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't know. Um, I guess we will wrap up here. Thank you guys for doing this. Um, This went really well. Um. Thank you all for being so fucking reliant and wonderful. I feel like you all had really smart things to say about this. You had smarter things than I had to say about this. You guys are all smart. Even you, Ian. I'm a fucking dumbass. (laughs) (laughs) Latoya, you are the TV historian. Excuse me. Uh, I, I do as well. Yes, <laughs> I love you guys. I remember. I remember when you. I think it was charisma when you asked her about the like commercial, and she was like shocked that you remembered the commercials. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Whenever you're talking, Latoya, uh, sit my ass up and listen. I don't actually remember anything I said in that interview because I did black out. <laughs> Nerves, baby. <laughs> um, but. Yeah, so I mean, I just think the reason I still want to continue with this show and, you know, I think a lot of, you know, you still continue talking to the show too, LaToya, is there are things worth talking about and it's still ingrained. I do think it's very much ingrained in pop culture. Um, And I think it's, you can't pretend otherwise, right? Um, So yeah, I just, I wanted everyone to know this is why we are going to finish up season seven. It's why we took that long break. Every time a new episode came out, people would be like, wait, but when's Buffy coming out? Um, and I just, I will say that I, I, and I think you all might agree with me or not. I don't know. Um, I just, when those, when those, like, when the statements came out from Charisma and they started coming out from everyone and Amber and Michelle, I just didn't feel comfortable talking about the show. I didn't feel comfortable asking people to talk about the show. I didn't quite know what I was going to do, but I knew I had to pause it because I myself didn't feel comfortable. I didn't want any of you to feel uncomfortable, like, coming on. Um, You know, I've had people since say they do not want to talk Buffy anymore, and I respect that. Um, But thankfully, I have all of y'all who still want to talk Buffy, um, and I kind of just wanted us to do this before we get back so everyone listening can know where we stand, to know where the podcast is going moving forward, and where why he will be not part of the conversation. And if he does, it will be... A footnote, if that. I thought this was the end of Slayer Fest 98. I thought this was the finale show. Thrown for a loop a little bit. You're continuing the show, I mean, Ian. That's very responsible. Jeez, Ian, have you not listened to a word we've said? <laughs> I'm coming from the Angel on Top. <laughs> and now for a quick break. 
Folks, do you love movies? The good ones? Even the bad ones everyone told you not to like? It sounds like Super Yaki is the place for you. The team at Super Yaki loves movies. So much so, they've dedicated every waking moment of their life to bringing you top-quality merchandise to showcase your love for them. From super soft t-shirts celebrating the 20th anniversary of the cinematic masterpiece Josie and the Pussycats, to comfy sweatshirts made for the brave members of the Movies by Yourself Club. They even have pins of some of your favorite directors, like Sofia Coppola and Jordan Peele. Super Yaki joyously brings you tangible love letters to movies and filmmakers that you can wear with pride. Plus, the team at Super Yaki screen prints all their apparel using eco-friendly, 100% water-based inks, and ships with compostable poly mailers for an environmentally friendly alternative to online shopping. And as a special gift to you, listeners can save 10% on their order with the code SUPERSLAYERFEST, all caps, no spaces, at checkout. If the spirit moves you, find them at superyaki.com. Let's watch more movies, y'all. Yeah, so, yeah, that's that's what I wanted to do for this episode, and I really appreciate all of you. I gotta say, I mean, I think Adam or Philip, before we started recording, were like, this is like the Avengers Endgame of Slayer Fest, and it really is. I'm glad you all came out of the portals to support me and be here and talk <laughs> about this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and, uh, yeah, so you all know where to find us, um, but if you like the podcast, Find us on social media at SlayerFestX98. You can find us on uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, and everywhere else. Um, if you like us, you can subscribe to the Patreon. And uh, if you lo- want to find me on social, I'm at Carlos. Philip, where can everyone find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Philip underscore Ellis. That's Philip with one L and Ellis with two. Dana, where can everyone find you? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Dana Pickley. That is two C's, one L. And Latoya, where can everyone find you? I'm on Twitter at LaFergs. Um, if you're going to tweet at me, don't do a correction of my, any of my bits. Don't take them seriously. Just leave <laughs> me alone. Actually, don't follow me or tweet at me or say anything to me. <laughs> don't perceive Latoya at all. <laughs> uh, Adam, where can everyone find you? You can find me on Twitter at the Adam Sass. If you didn't like anything I had to say, my name is Caleb Rarick. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Zach, where can everyone find you? Uh, I don't know. Um, uh, my bloody <laughs> Judy, I guess, on Slayerfest 98. I don't, I don't fucking know. That's all. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Kim, <laughs> Kim, where can everyone find you? I'm at Kim and Joe South. And Kirsten, where can everyone find you? I'm on Twitter at, at Kirsten White, on Instagram at author Kirsten White, um, on your local bookstores, bookshelves. Again, unless you didn't like something I had to say, in which case I'm Adam Sachs. <laughs> Damn! (laughs) (laughs) All right, everyone. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.